Good afternoon. My name is Emma, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Cloudflare Second Quarter 2022 Earnings Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, again, press the star one. Thank you. Jason Nolan, VP of Investor Relations, you may begin your conference. Thank you for joining us to discuss Cloudflare's financial results for the second quarter of 2022. With me on the call, we have Matthew Prince, co-founder and CEO, Michelle Zatlin, co-founder, president, and COO, and Thomas Seifert, CFO. By now, everyone should have access to our earnings announcement. This announcement, as well as our supplemental financial information, may be found in our investor relations website. As a reminder, we'll be making forward-looking statements during today's discussion, including, but not limited to, our customers, vendors, and partners' operations and future financial performance, anticipated product launches and the timing and market potential of those products, the company's anticipated future revenue, financial performance, operating performance, non-GAAP gross margin, non-GAAP net income or loss, non-GAAP net income or loss per share, shares outstanding, non-GAAP operating expenses, free cash flow, non-GAAP tax expense, dollar-based net retention rate, paying customers, and large customers. These statements and other comments are not guarantees of future performance, but rather are subject to risks and uncertainty, some of which are beyond our control, including but not limited to challenging general economic conditions, including inflation, rising interest rates, and other impacts of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and Russia-Ukraine conflict. Our actual results may differ significantly from those projected or suggested in any forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements apply as of today, and you should not rely on them as representing our views in the future. We undertake no obligation to update these statements after this call. For a more complete discussion of the risks and uncertainties that could impact our future operating results and financial condition, please see our filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission, as well as in today's earnings press release. Unless otherwise noted, all numbers we talk about today, other than revenue, will be on an adjusted, non-GAAP basis. All current and prior period financials discussed are reflected under ASC 606. You may find a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financial measures in our earnings release on our investor relations website. For historical periods, a GAAP to non-GAAP reconciliation can be found in the supplemental financial information referenced a few moments ago. We would also like to inform you that we will be participating in the Stiefel Tech Executive Summit on August 30th, the Deutsche Bank Technology Conference on September 1st, and the Piper Sandler Growth Frontiers Conference on September 13th. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to Matthew. Thank you, Jason. Even with the increased economic uncertainty, we had a very strong quarter. In Q2, we achieved revenue of $234 million, up 54% year-over-year. We added a record 212 new large customers, those paying us more than $100,000 per year, and now have 1,749 customers over this threshold. These large customers now represent 60% of our revenue, up from 50% six quarters ago. This trend illustrates how large established enterprises increasingly form the foundation of Cloudflare's business. In fact, today, 29% of the Fortune 1000 are already paying Cloudflare customers, a nearly threefold increase over when we went public less than three years ago. Our dollar-based net retention remains strong at 126%, down 1% over last quarter. While there may be some noise in this number from quarter to quarter, we won't be satisfied until it's above 130% and best of breed among the companies we consider peers. Our gross margin remains strong at 78.9%, up 90 basis points year over year and still over our long-term target of 75 to 77%. Our operating margin was right at break-even, which continues to be our plan, so long as we can deliver strong growth. What I'm watching closely is our free cash flow margin. It shows significant improvement quarter over quarter, and we continue to forecast it will be positive in the second half of the year. On our last earnings call, I got a lot of raised eyebrows from many of you when I said Q1 of 2022 would prove to be the hardest quarter for our industry since Q1 of 2020. It didn't make me particularly popular around the CEO club, where the first rule of recessions is not to talk about recessions. However, 
Transparency has always been one of Cloudflare's core values. So I'm going to call it like I see it. In that spirit, let me share some more details of what we saw and are seeing. In Q1, our pipeline generation slowed, sales cycles extended, and customers took longer to pay their bills. We watched those metrics closely throughout Q2 and saw them all at least stabilize. They're not where we throw a parade yet, but the metrics are trending in the right direction. Given our visibility early into the economic downturn, we rapidly adjusted our go-to-market message. We shifted our messaging to focus on ROI, helping customers save money, and consolidating spend from multiple point solution vendors behind Cloudflare's broad platform. Messages about saving money and using fewer vendors didn't particularly resonate a year ago, but they do today. Having a broad platform to solve so many customers' problems, while at the same time, saving the money is a superpower in times like these. As I look at our wins in the first half of the year, I believe it's fair to say that it's harder today than it was a year ago to sign up a new customer, but it's gotten easier to talk to our broad set of existing customers about doing more with us. And customers are leaning forward to hear about how we can save them money, reduce their IT complexity, all while increasing their security, performance, and reliability. I'm not a member of the National Board of Economic Advisors, so I'm not the person to say whether we're in a recession or not how bad it may be, or how quickly we may rebound. But I am the CEO of Cloudflare, and while our business remains strong, I believe this is a time for prudence and caution. The metaphor I've been using with our team is to talk about the different conditions you may face driving a car on the road. A year ago, we could see for miles and the road was clear, so it made sense to open up the throttle. Today, we find ourselves in what my grandmother used to call a Thule fog. The road ahead is less certain, so it makes sense to keep our hands on the wheel, our eyes on the road, and let up a bit on the accelerator. Whether we're in one or not, recessions suck. They hurt everyone. No company is recession-proof. But some are more recession-resilient than others. Some things I know are universally true. No matter how bad this recession may get, companies aren't going to abandon the Internet. They're not going to give up on the cloud and go back to on-premise boxes and packaged software. Hackers aren't going to stop hacking, so cybersecurity will remain a must-have, not a nice-to-have. And we're already seeing evidence of all of this, with our gross renewal rate in every region for the first half of the year hitting all-time highs since we went public. We're not recession-proof, but I wouldn't trade places with any other CEO right now. Personally, if I think back, my career has been defined by recessions. I think a lot of people's are. Recessions have always been hard. But they're also formative moments to focus and ultimately improve. In 2000, as the first dot-com bubble burst, the law firm I was supposed to go work for said they didn't need any more securities lawyers, but they could probably find a spot for me in their bankruptcy practice. I took that time to reflect on whether watching companies implode was what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and pivoted to become an entrepreneur. Fourteen years ago, in 2008, at the onset of the last global recession, Google pulled their full-time offers for all their summer interns, which included my co-founder at Cloudflare, Michelle Zatlin. If that hadn't happened, Cloudflare would have never been born. At the same time, I learned what a margin call was and, deeply embarrassingly, literally had to borrow money from my mom to pay my rent. That's when I got an extremely personal lesson on the importance of free cash flow, and it's why I'm ensuring right now, in this uncertain time, that Cloudflare is prioritizing being free cash flow positive. Tough times force you to reevaluate everything you've done and become better. It's why the best companies come out of tough times even stronger than they went in. So maybe it's a bit masochistic, but I'm looking forward to how Cloudflare gets even better during some of the tough times for the global economy that seem likely ahead. Hands on the wheel, eyes on the road, letting up a bit on the accelerator. With that background, and to avoid being too much of a bummer, let's talk about some great customer wins in the quarter. A Fortune 500 retailer in Europe signed a $1 million three-year deal for multiple Cloudflare products. They wanted to reduce their operational complexity by replacing a number of point solutions with Cloudflare's broad platform. We became their web application firewall, content delivery network, bot management system, and a number of other application protection services with our easy-to-manage platform. Having proven success protecting their infrastructure, we're now talking to them about expanding to be their zero-trust provider, too. A Fortune 500 energy company signed a $784,000 three-year deal. They had been using Zscaler. They found Cloudflare solution easier to use, more performant, and integrated across their full security control plane. As I said last quarter, 
We like our win rates when we go head-to-head with Zscaler and Palo Alto Networks because our product is better and can scale to meet the needs of complex organizations like this one. And while we're still relatively new to this zero-trust space, we're going head-to-head against them more and more often. Yet another Fortune 500 industrial company signed a $1.3 million five-year upsell agreement. This customer first adopted Cloudflare in Q1 of 2022 and is already seeing ways they can use more of our platform. What's also notable is this is an example of us increasingly working with channel partners. We believe channel sales are especially important in the zero-trust space, and in Q2, we successfully signed up half of Zscaler's top channel partners as new Cloudflare partners. The state of Arizona expanded their use of our platform, signing a $770,000 one-year expansion deal. Arizona has been a longtime Cloudflare customer and continues to expand the use of our platform as we launch new products. I still remember their first PO with us from several years back, which specified the address and method of shipping of our product, as if we were a hardware vendor. We shipped them T-shirts, not hardware, and they've continued to grow with us ever since. One of the world's largest advertising conglomerates signed a $1.7 million one-year deal. They originally came to us last quarter under an attack that originated out of Russia. Seeing the power of our platform, this quarter they expanded their engagement. This was yet another competitive zero-trust deal against other leading zero-trust vendors. Like we're hearing over and over again, this customer chose Cloudflare because of the strength of our broad platform and our ease of use. In the words of their head of cloud, with Cloudflare, everything works, there are no issues. One of the largest online recruiting firms signed a $5.5 million three-year deal. They were an extremely technical buyer who put our entire platform through its paces. In the end, they demonstrated for themselves that we were, by far, the best of breed. This is also an example of how increasingly we're seeing executives bring Cloudflare to their new workplaces. In this case, the buyer knew us from his previous position and was our champion when he moved jobs and was promoted. In his words, you don't get fired for buying Cloudflare. Workers continues to gain traction among developers. Last earnings call, I talked about the importance of building workers into other platforms as the best shortcut to developer adoption. In Q2, we signed deals with one of the largest e-commerce platforms, one of the fastest-growing web development platforms, and a next-generation database platform to embed workers as a service as a preferred development environment. These deals represent hundreds of thousands of dollars in guaranteed revenue with upside as usage grows, but more importantly, we believe they are the fastest path to catalyzing a robust ecosystem around Cloudflare workers and exposing its power to the broad community of developers. Another interesting thing of note from the quarter is we're increasingly seeing other security companies adopting Cloudflare as the best of breed solution. It's incredibly affirming when your peers choose your product. A public security compliance vendor, a leading endpoint security provider, and one of the largest data security vendors all signed multi-year contracts, each worth more than $700,000. Even our direct competitors often use Cloudflare for DDoS mitigation and other services where we are the clear leader. This recognition by our peers of our best-of-breed products continues to validate why I'm confident Cloudflare will continue to grow even stronger through the tough economic times that may be ahead. One last thing in the spirit of transparency before I turn it over to Thomas. We had a bug in our billing system related to how we expire unused credits for pay-as-you-go customers. Before we went public, for good accounting reasons, we put in place a policy where we expired unused credits after three years. That system triggered for the first time earlier this year. Unfortunately, a bug in it caused our system to report a spike in total paying customers last quarter. The revenue involved is not material, less than $160,000, but it caused us to over-report the number of paying customers last quarter. The correct numbers are 148,184 in Q1 and 151,803 in Q2. Our pay-as-you-go business is only 11% of our revenue today, but we believe it's important to continue to invest in it in order to serve the entire market and protect our plane. I'm embarrassed by the mistake, and we've fixed the bug and put in place checks designed to catch any similar errors in the future. I don't like it when we make mistakes, but I do think it's important we be transparent and own them when we do, which is why I insisted on addressing this today. It also leaves more fun topics for Thomas. With that, I'll hand it off to Thomas to walk through the financials. Thomas, take it away. Thank you, Matthew, and thank you to everyone for joining us. We delivered another strong quarter driven by strength in our large customers with a record number of large customer additions 
as we continue to build our expansion engine. Our success in the first half of this year reflects the investments in our innovation and large enterprise go-to-market initiatives, as well as the benefits of operating a durable, subscription-based revenue model. Turning to revenue, total revenue for the second quarter increased 54% year-over-year to $234.5 million. The growth in revenue was driven by strong adoption of our product portfolio and continued traction with our enterprise customer base. Area One, the email security company we acquired in April, contributed less than 1% of revenue. From a geographic perspective, we saw continued strength in both the U.S. and internationally. The U.S. represented 53% of revenue and increased 55% year-over-year. EMEA represented 26% of revenue and increased 54% year-over-year. APAC represented 14% of revenue and increased 43% year-over-year. We are pleased to see growth continue to accelerate in APAC. Turning to our customer metrics, in the second quarter, we had 151,803 paying customers, representing an increase of 20% year-over-year. We saw a higher level of churn due in part to pay-as-you-go customers shifting down to our free customer tier. As our business continues to move up market, the total revenue contribution from our pay-as-you-go business, which largely reflects SMB, continues to decline, representing 11% of revenue in the second quarter, down from 14% in 2021, as disclosed at our Investor Day in May. Turning to large customers, we ended the quarter with 1,749 large customers, representing an increase of 61% year-over-year, and a record addition of 212 large customers in the quarter. We were pleased to see large customer revenue contribution increase again sequentially. We continue to move up market, shipping products and features that are enterprise-grade, and that is reflected in our large customer cohorts consistently increasing size and revenue contribution. Significant expansion from our large customers contributed to a dollar-based net retention of 126%, representing a decrease of 100 basis points sequentially and an increase of 200 basis points year over year. While we expect DNR to continue to trend upward over time, we expect some variability quarter to quarter. Moving to cross margin. Second quarter gross margin was 78.9%, representing an increase of 20 basis points sequentially. Network CapEx represented 13% of revenue in the second quarter. We continue to expect some level of quarter-to-quarter variability given strategic purchase decisions and continue to expect network CapEx to be 12 to 14% of revenue for fiscal 2022. Turning to operating expenses, second quarter operating expenses as a percentage of revenue increased 3% sequentially and decreased 2% year over year to 79%. We had another strong hiring quarter where we saw our total number of employees increase 49% year over year, bringing our total number of employees to approximately 3,060 at the end of the quarter. As we look forward into the second half of 2022, we plan to slow the velocity of hiring given global macroeconomic uncertainty. We also see an opportunity to raise the bar on new hire additions given dislocations in the market. Sales and marketing expenses were $103.9 million for the quarter. Sales and marketing as a percentage of revenue increased 2% sequentially and decreased to 44 from 45% in the same quarter last year. Research and development expenses were $46.2 million in the quarter. R&D as a percentage of revenue increased 1% sequentially and stayed flat from 20% in the same quarter last year. General and administrative expenses were $35.8 million for the quarter. DNA as a percentage of revenue stayed flat sequentially and decreased to 15 from 16% in the same quarter last year. Operating loss was $891,000 
compared to an operating loss of $4 million in the same period last year. Second quarter operating margin was negative 0.4%, improving 220 basis points year over year. If not for our acquisition and continued investment in Area 1, we would have been operating profit positive. Turning to net income in the balance sheet. Our net income in the quarter was $312,000, or net income per share of zero cents. Tax expense for the quarter was $793,000. We ended the second quarter with $1.6 billion in cash, cash equivalents, and available for sale securities. Free cash flow was negative $4.4 million in the second quarter, or 2% of revenue, compared to negative $9.8 million, or 6% of revenue in the same period last year. Operating cash flow was $38.3 million in the second quarter for 16% of revenue, compared to $7.5 million or 5% of revenue in the same period last year. We will be diligent in balancing operational discipline moving forward. We have a heightened focus on free cash flow while maintaining profitability at or near break-even with continued investment to address the enormous opportunity in front of us. As mentioned in prior quarters, we continue to expect to return to positive free cash flow in the second half of 2022. Remaining performance obligations, or RPO, came in at $760 million, representing an increase of 10% sequentially and 57% year-over-year. Current RPO was 76% of total RPO. Before we move to guidance for the third quarter and full year, I would like to provide additional color on our expectations in light of the uncertainty in the macroeconomic environment. Similar to the early days of COVID, we performed rigorous analysis to understand both the risks and opportunities in the current environment. However, while COVID particularly affected a narrow set of industries, the current challenges impact a broader set of verticals which is why we believe it's important for us to be more prudent in this quarter's guidance. Headwinds from foreign exchange have also accelerated, and with our product portfolio priced in U.S. dollars, our products are becoming more expensive internationally. And while we haven't seen a material change in our customers' behavior to date, we are seeing elongated sales cycles at the high end of our business. We are cognizant of the increasingly cautious environment that factors this into our outlook. For the third quarter, we expect revenue in the range of 250 to 251 million dollars, representing an increase of 45 to 46 percent year over year. We expect operating income in the range of zero to one million dollars. We expect net income per share of break even to one cent, assuming approximately 342 million common shares outstanding. We expect a tax expense of $1.9 million. For the full year 2022, we expect revenue in the range of $968 to $972 million, representing an increase of 47 to 48% year over year. We expect operating income for the full year in the range of $7 million to $11 million. We expect net income per share over that period in the range of 3 to 4 cents assuming approximately 343 million common shares outstanding. We expect a tax expense of $6.4 million. We are fortunate to be uniquely positioned as a provider of mission-critical services to all customers, and while there are challenges in the economy, we remain excited about the opportunity in front of us. We'd like to thank the Cloudflare employees for their continued dedication and resiliency in delivering exceptional service to our customers, partners, and communities. And with that, I'd like to open it up for questions. Operator, please poll for questions. Thank you. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your cell phone keypad. We do ask today that you limit yourselves to one question and one follow-up. Thank you. Your first question comes from the line of Matt Hedberg with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is now open. Uh, great. Thank you very much for, for the question, and, and, and congrats on, on the results in, in a tough environment. Uh, maybe, Thomas, uh, for you, you know, Matthew had a lot of uh, helpful commentaries, and we, I think we appreciate the candor 
Uh, you know, you mentioned longer sales cycles, but you still increased your full-year guide uh, by $13 million or more than the $7 million Q2B. Can you talk a little bit more about specifically, you know, how you thought about levels, embedding levels of conservatism? And, and you know, are you assuming things kind of stay the same or, or maybe it gets worse from here? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we looked at a lot of different factors uh, impacting guidance uh, this year, and um, you picked up some already. So we, we continue to see elongated uh, sales cycles at the high end um, of our of our business uh, that is especially in their half a million to a million dollar bucket um, and we, we expect to that to continue we saw also that um, our our european business uh, uh, was the second um, best performing uh, region uh, this quarter and we've seen a deterioration uh, of performance especially in europe over the first and second quarter so we expect that um, the trends and um, for sure not to improve um, you also see um, across the board, I think, that companies are, like us, uh, be- becoming more cautious in how they approach um, the business, um, and, and things are discussed twice um, uh, in order to make sure that uh, cuts have only been done once. So we we have not factored in uh, in our guidance that that things would improve from from here from here uh, from here on moving forward and. Uh, and um, you know, performed rigorous analysis across um, verticals, uh, across various regions, and customer cohorts. And um, that's why you see a, a more prudent and more cautious uh, guide uh, for for the third quarter and the end of the year. Got it. That makes sense. And then maybe just one for Matthew. Uh, the the wins that you called out in workers uh, are exciting. Um, you know, I guess I'm wondering. You know. Uh, is there is there an opportunity in maybe more challenged economic times for 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 customers to start to use uh, workers in, in even more creative and maybe cost effective higher ROI ways than they would have otherwise done so if like you said the road was kind of clear ahead and, and no clouds or fog uh, in front of us? Yeah, I think you know one of the really powerful things about workers is its efficiency, and so a workload, an equivalent workload running on workers versus running on any of the, the sort of traditional public clouds, AWSs or Google Cloud or, or Microsoft Azure, um, is, is typically significantly less expensive to run. And the technical work in order to make that happen is part of the magic of what workers delivers. And so we are definitely seeing, um, especially in, um, you know, either new startups or, or people who are really realizing that they've got to make money go further. Uh, the days of just wildly spending on your cloud bill, I think, are, are behind us. And there are many different ways, both with workers as well as just some of our standard products, that if you put us in front of your typical public cloud, we can often save you quite a bit of money. And so, again, I think that that was a message that didn't really resonate very much uh, a year ago where everyone was just, it seemed like money was free and, and people were throwing it at, at, at any problem that was out there. Um, but I, I think in these particular environments where people are trying to figure out how to stretch a dollar even further, workers and Cloudflare's platform as a whole is very effective at helping people save money. Super helpful. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from the line of James Fish with Piper Sandler. Your line is now open. Hey guys, thanks for the questions. Um, uh, actually, InterQuarter was an interesting release from you guys that you talked about the Cloudflare One Partner Program and Matthew in your prepared remarks. You mentioned, you know, taking some of uh, your competitors' uh, top channel partners. Um, can you go over some of the details that you expect in terms of how this is this program is going to work for you guys? Is it solely focused on security and how this is going to impact your indirect indirect mix and profitability over the next couple of years? Yeah, you know, I think that from the early days of Cloudflare, we explored uh, various partner programs. And the challenge was that, you know, for a lot of our early products, it took five minutes to sign up, uh, and, and and they just worked out of the box. And so there wasn't a lot of value to add as a value-added reseller. And so while while we, we had, you know, what I would call fairly standard success, for the SaaS industry in in working with partners, 
I don't think our, our products really facilitated um, getting the most out of the partner ecosystem. And especially, you know, if, if all a partner is, is, is an order taker, then that's not, not a lot of value. I think a handful of things have, have happened. One is that our products have gotten more complicated and the ability to customize them in various ways has become much richer. So, for example, with workers, uh, what we're seeing from a partner like IBM is that they can actually develop their own intellectual property for a particular industry vertical, uh, deploy that on workers, and then sell that same IP over and over again. Um, that's great for them. It really drives their services revenue, uh, and it's great for us because it, it means that we are getting more leverage in what we're uh, able to deliver um, through partners. The second thing is that I think we saw with Zscaler uh, that their success with a handful of partners in selling zero-trust products was really successful. Those products take more work to actually implement and deploy within an organization. It's not a five-minute setup. And so in that case, that's an area where we are able to work with partners. And in particular, um, you know, we're very much following the playbook. And when we talk to the partners that are selling uh, Zero Trust services, they all want to have more solutions in their basket to be able to bring to customers. Um, because in a lot of cases, the, the kind of previous Zero Trust solutions either suffered from a lack of ability to scale, real performance bottlenecks, uh, not not having the total global coverage that global companies need. And Cloudflare addresses all of those things extremely well. So I think that that's an opportunity uh, for us. In terms of profitability, you know, I think the good news is that these more complex products uh, tend to actually be the highest margin products that we have. And so as we were designing uh, the program, we thought that we could have it be both margin accretive to Cloudflare while also still being very attractive uh, to to the zero, uh, to the uh, potential uh, partners that are bringing that to market, and so um, I think that this is an area that we're watching very carefully. Uh, I think it's part that is uh, it, we're going to continue to invest in. It actually is also one of the hidden benefits of us acquiring Area One. They had a lot more uh, experience with uh, the channel and with partners, and so working with the team there to really design that program has been has been great, and the reception. From partners has been has been terrific. So I think it's it's a it's a win win uh, for us and for our partners. Very helpful, Matthew. Um, last one for me is a big government quarter coming up here, and obviously you guys have the just some integrated relationship. I guess what are you seeing on the government agency side and, and that FedRAMP program? Thanks, guys. Yeah, uh, appreciate appreciate it. Um, we are uh, it's, it's like it's like being in line at the DMV. Um, the, 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 we've, we've pulled our number and are just waiting for it to come up, uh, for us to get our FedRAMP, uh, certification. And so we, we expect that we'll have very positive news, uh, for that, uh, next, next quarter. But we're, we're basically at, you know, number, we're, we're number 84 and it's showing, you know, number 80, 83 on the, on the sort of white, or red, uh, number counting board, uh, at the DMV. So that's positive. Um, we, we see across the board, not just with federal, but, you know, the example that I gave of the state of Arizona, we're seeing a lot more people adopt, uh, Cloudflare services in that, in that government space. And so I think that that continues to be a place where we have very strong relationships. Uh, and as we continue to get the various certifications, it'll allow us to go even faster. Your next question comes from the line of Alex Henderson with Needham & Co. Your line is now open. Great. Thank you very much. Um, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the, the, the context of the commentary around the economic conditions. It's pretty obvious that for the entire planet, the economies uh, globally are decelerating, and particularly Europe is under a lot of uh, duress. But your initial comments was sort of that you saw that start to really manifest in in 1Q and that it actually improved somewhat uh, or at least stabilized in 2Q, uh, yet you sound a lot more cautious on your uh, thought process and so forth. And I'm wondering if, if there's a little bit of a, um, 
uh, disconnect between those two, the, the tone of those two. It uh, doesn't sound like your business has rolled at all and, you know, sequentially gotten worse or more tense. But on the other side of the coin, you sound like you're being much more conservative in your outlook. So can you parse between those two a little bit? Yeah, Alex. Yeah, I think that um, we, what we see is that the environment has gotten harder. I think we saw the first signals of that actually going back to December of 2021, and they really uh, started to manifest in various ways, um, slow down of pipelines, uh, slow down uh, of, of customers paying their bills uh, in, in Q1 of this year. And, and, and we talked about that on, on the last quarter uh, earnings call. And I think some people, you know, were, 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 were questioning, you know, why, why would we would do that? Um, what I think we've been able to do though, because we saw that, we acknowledged it, uh, we didn't, we didn't pretend like everything was, was normal, was really adjust, uh, to take advantage of, of the, of the, of the situation. And so I think one of the real powers of Cloudflare's business is the diversity of our customer sets, both on a geography uh, and also industry basis, the diversity of our products, uh, and, and that allows us to have multiple levers to be able to continue to deliver uh, even when when the times get tough. And I think if you go back to the COVID uh, quarters, and that, that was definitely a time where we had to adjust how we went to market, uh, what we did, what types of customers uh, we focused on. We really transitioned from being a business driven uh, primarily from getting new logos to one that developed a real expertise in how to go to our existing customers and sell them more. And I think there are a lot of analogies uh, that are similar to the sort of adjustments that we've made that allowed us to have, um, you know, a, qu- a quarter like this. But make no mistake, um, the, the, we're still, we're still in what my grandmother would call a Thule fog. We've still got to go out and do the work every day of, you know, filling up the wheelbarrow with new leads, uh, sifting through it to look for what's, uh, what's, what's going to be the most promising and then being able to, um, and being able to deliver. But what I like about our business is again, it's diversity across customer types, customer sizes, products, ways that we can go to market. And I think our team has done a good job of adapting to what is a much more difficult situation today than it was a year ago. I see. And uh, so maybe one, just, Alex, maybe one additional point. Uh, I pointed that out in my script, but and I didn't mention it in the in the previous answer. Um, what we do feel um, is our also currency headwinds, especially in Europe. So, you know, even with the economic activity for us in, in terms of deal, deal volume and um, would be the same. We, we see the headwinds from a currency perspective in Europe, but also in other parts of the world, uh, Japan, for example, that we need to digest. <clears throat> Yeah, that, that actually leads me to the second question uh, that I wanted to ask is, is the European environment is particularly onerous uh, with 20% currency translation headwinds in, in the MIA war, inflation, rising interest rates. Bank of, uh, Bank of uh, uh, England just raised rates half a percent today, in fact. Uh, and given that environment, um, they're struggling with huge price increases, particularly on systems. In local in in dollars plus the currency translation, and their budgets are fairly flat. Now, my understanding is there seems to be a a, a separation of between companies that are selling relatively low-priced, high-value technologies and companies that are selling high-ticket uh, uh, technologies. Can you talk about whether you're you know aggressively low-priced uh, and uh, the fact that you're a lower ticket up front um, gives you a big advantage in, in that geography because of that characteristic and whether you're seeing more pressure on the higher value, the higher, bigger ticket uh, uh, transactions. Because I think ultimately that seems to be the dividing rod between who wins and loses in, in Europe. Well, I, I think it's certainly a benefit that uh, our products are mission critical. But, you know, um, even then um, – uh, the high-end uh, and bigger ACB deals, uh, decision take longer. That's where you see the 
elongated uh, sales cycles. Um, the second um, factor in our favor is the cross margin is, is one of their strong points of the business model. And when we deploy that uh, weapon, we always talked a bit about it as a strategic weapon when, where it makes sense. So that doesn't mean, um, um, you know, price cutting. Uh, we, we try to be strategic and accommodating where we think it makes sense to build business relationship and business. Uh, but we're using our margin to accommodate for that without any doubt. <clears throat> Great. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from the line of Shao Eyal with Co Cohen. Your line is now open. Thank you. Good afternoon, guys. Congrats uh, on the set of results. Um, Matthew, the first question uh, for you. So lots of discussion uh, throughout the quarter maybe some chatter around your crypto exposure, uh, potential implications. Maybe a good opportunity here to address Cloudflare's exposure, maybe, you know, current thinking on this vertical, given the changing dynamics we've seen in, in, in recent months. Sure. I mean, I, I think that we um, we have customers that are, are in that space, um, including a number of the, the large exchanges. Um, but I don't think that there are any of them uh, that would that would crack being a, a top ten customer, and I think as a whole, um, I don't know the the exact exposure. Uh, Thomas may be able to to add to it, but but I, I will say that it's it's not significant enough that it has been uh, brought up as a as a big risk item uh, internally. So I, I think that we have always had. I mean, I I, I personally um, have never. I, I you know, there's a lot of religion around. Um, uh, crypto space where people are either hyperly pro crypto or hyperly against crypto. I feel like I'm the only kind of agnostic on crypto um, where I don't think we have bet heavily on it. Um, but at the same time, um, we, we've definitely made sure that if it, if if there are things that emerge from it uh, that that we're in a position to to take advantage of those. But I, that that has not been a a meaningful headwind to us. Yeah, and maybe some color. Um our exposure to crypto was less than uh, was single mid single digits in percent of revenue up to under five percent uh, for the second quarter um so um not a big an interesting part in terms of the 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 size and the amount of customers but not a big exposure to revenue understood and and thomas maybe one one for you um question on elongated sales cycle i know it's a bit tricky uh it differs from customer to customer, but maybe can you generalize for us um, how long, how much are these cycles being elongated? Are we talking two weeks, three weeks, more than that? How can we be thinking about it? You know, the, the word elongated is a very, very general uh, term. Well, I, I would say for the main part of our business, um, we are still far below 90 days from a sales cycle perspective. So when we talk about elongated sales cycles, it's in the in the upper end of our cohorts where you look at um, the bucket, 500,000 per million dollars of ACB, where it's moving out. But there it's moving out by weeks, not by days. Understood. Very helpful. Thank you so much. We ask that analysts limit themselves to one question so we may get to everybody today. Thank you. Your next question comes to the line of Fatima Bulani with Citi. Your line is now open. Hey, good afternoon. Thank you so much for taking my questions. Um, Matthew or Thomas uh, jump ball for either one of you. You know, thinking about the shift to pay as you go customer, some of your observations and commentary around elongating deal cycles that you just addressed. Um, I'm curious if you can just sort of take a step back and bifurcate for us how new logo land purchasing and procurement behavior has changed versus uh, expansion or install base expansion customer behavior has changed over the last three months. And maybe if you can help um, contextualize this or, you know, put this under the lens of your product pillars, um, whether there is more or less uh, usage or slower adoption of, of certain pillars versus others, and, and, and certainly against the hardware supply chain constraint backdrop that we're in right now. Sure. So um, as, I, as I said in the prepared remarks, um, 
I think that it has gotten harder to sign up a new logo um, since the beginning of the year, uh, but it but it's actually gotten easier to talk to our existing customers about using more of their platform, more of our platform, uh, in order to solve the problems that they that they have. Um, and and so I think that that where we benefit is because we have such a broad product portfolio. That allows us, even in these times where signing up new logos is hard, uh, we can go to our existing customers and, and have a conversation about how we can simplify their IT stack, how we can save them money, how we can make them more secure, and uh, and, and I think that that's that's um, that, that's attractive. So uh, we're still signing up plenty of new new logos, um, but but I, I think that it, on on balance, it has definitely uh, gotten harder to sign up new logos. And it uh, has gotten um, easier uh, to have conversations about expanding usage of our platform and especially adopting different products uh, that are part of our platform. Uh, in terms of what products, um, you know, are are, uh, are how the how the mix of products uh, is changing. Um, I think security continues to be top of mind. Um, the you know I, I think that there was real um, kind of concern. Uh, around when uh, the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine happened, uh, that there would be uh, attacks that, that went out uh, from Russia in retaliation against uh, Western companies. Um, that actually did not materialize in, in Q1, uh, the way I think a lot of people thought it would. Um, but we started to see more of that uh, start to materialize in, in Q2. It's still, um, I wouldn't call it a trend yet, but um, but but we're seeing more uh, companies come under attack and turning to us when when that happens. And so I think this is an environment where security products do very well, and uh, and, and across our security portfolio, we're seeing strength. Thank you so much. Your next question comes from the line of Joel Fishbein with Jurist. Your line is now open. Thank you uh, for taking my question. Um, uh, Matthew, uh, at Analyst Day, you talked about acts and um, these large markets that Cloudflare is going to go after, notwithstanding the, you know, you know, macro environment, current macro environment. Is there anything that has changed in your philosophy about these big markets? And maybe you can just give us an update on, you know, these acts or large markets um, and where your position, maybe specifically around R2 and the, the big data that you have going on right now. Thank you. Yeah, so um, we think of Cloudflare as stacking uh, multiple um, adoption S-curves one behind another. Uh, and so our first act uh, were how do we protect um, the, the infrastructure of customers around the world? And it's, it is um, – it is – Incredible to see how we've been able to uh, do that uh, successfully. Where today, you know, more than 20% of all websites use our our infrastructure. Um, we continue to sell those products, but I think that where where we are earlier in that S curve is with our zero trust products, and we're we're able to go to all of those people who adopted our application security products and now say, hey, we can help you with zero trust as well. And I think that that is the big act that we're focusing on um, right now. Um, act three for us, which I think will really start to hit in a material way around revenue uh, in three to five years, uh, is, is really around workers. Um, and I think we have been very pleasantly surprised how that adoption has happened um, faster and sooner and earlier than we expected. Um, R2, which is our object store and our S3, Amazon S3 competitor, uh, went into public beta uh, last quarter, and we expect that it will go into GA uh, right at the end of Q3. And so I think that that's an opportunity for us to do more, uh, and, uh, and we, we, will conti we continue to invest in it. And, again, we, we think that the real durable – nature of Cloudflare is that we're able to continue to stack these acts one behind another behind another. Great. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Hamza Faderwaller with Morgan Stanley. 
Your line is now open. Hi, guys. Thank you for taking my questions. Uh, Matthew, maybe a question on the security angle uh, for you. Um, you talked a, little, a lot about having larger platform conversations with your existing customers. Can you comment on when you talk to CIOs, CISOs at these customers, what is their willingness to really want to transform and modernize their existing security architectures versus perhaps continuing to refresh their existing on-premise state? Yeah, I mean, I think Morgan Stanley is a, a, a great Cloudflare customer, and we have we have a terrific relationship with with the the CIO team uh, over there, and and it's and it's definitely an organization that has been willing to embrace uh, change, and uh, and we and we um, I think that that's that's a big big piece, and I think that most organizations today understand that they have to make that uh, change, and they're very willing to have that conversation. I think the thing that has changed to some extent is even those organizations that thought they could continue to invest in on-premise hardware are finding the current situation very difficult, where if you want to get a new firewall today, the lead times can be, you know, nine months uh, before you get it, and at the same time, the firewall vendors are raising their prices. And so I think that you'll you, it, a lot of um, in the in the results, a lot of the sort of RPO uh, that that you saw in in the traditional firewall vendors was people basically holding their place in line. But it's it's not a way to make customers happy, uh, telling them they have to pay more, uh, and and then delaying when when the product is going to be there. And so even for some of the organizations that traditionally have said, you know, we don't believe in the cloud or we don't believe in in moving in this direction. I think that that tune is starting to change, and uh, it's becoming very much the minority opinion that you can solve these problems with on-premise hardware. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Adam Borg with Stiefel. Your line is now open. Hey, guys, and uh, thanks so much for taking the question. Uh, maybe just for Thomas, I think you talked in the script about uh, being more judicious and, and slowing hiring in the back half of the year. And, Maybe was hoping you could talk a little bit more about which areas are still prioritized in terms of hiring and which ones you're kind of slowing a, a bit more. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, so we we grew quite a bit uh, employee headcount wise in the second quarter. We we said we take the velocity down quite a bit. Um, we still prioritize uh, go to market um, um, open uh, open positions and and protecting people moving into the second half. So the slowdown is in GNA um, um, in some of their R&D functions, but go-to-market is uh, still going to continue to to hire. Super clear. Thanks so much. Your next question comes from the line of Andrew Nowinski with Wells Fargo. Your line is now open. Great. Thank you. Uh, maybe just a Follow-up question on the operating uh, income for the year. You know, your your loss uh, in Q2 is actually better than your guidance. I, I think you just said you're slowing, slowing hiring in uh, the second half of the year. So I assume the reason you lowered your operating income for the full year, fiscal 22, was due to the uh, Area 1 acquisition. And if so, could you just pull that out, maybe tell us what your organic um, revenue and operating income would have been um, outside of that acquisition? Um, yeah, I, I don't want to get more, much more specific uh, than, than the color we gave on our in, in our script. But uh, it, it is true with a couple of moving parts. Um, without the continued investment in, in area one, we would have been uh, operating margin positive, uh, probably more in the single, you know, single digit, mid digit, uh, million dollar range uh, for for the second quarter. And I assume the operating guidance for the year would have gone up in absence of that uh, acquisition then? Um, you know, we gave guidance uh, for, for the quarter that took into account a lot of variables, and I'm not going to parcel out now what the specific impact of area one would have been if we hadn't done that uh, that acquisition. So the guidance okay. is a holistic picture of on, on, on many things that move, and uh, you should take it at that. Understood. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Trevor Walsh with JMP Securities. Your line is now open. 
Great. Thanks, Dean, for taking my question. Uh, Matthew, maybe a quick one for you uh, around your comments around uh, DBNR. You mentioned your aspirational goal of 130%. Um, what do you think is – how do you get there? Is it kind of a function, kind of where you're at now based on macroeconomics and um, just what, what's going on in terms of budgets, or, or is there something internally that you guys are looking to maybe change and or kind of refocus efforts on in order to, to drive that number up? Thanks. Yeah, I think that it it really is for us about how we bundle products together. Um, you know, today, 29% of the Fortune 1000 are already Cloudflare customers. Um, if you fast forward with that, uh, you know, I think that, that a, a very significant percentage of the Fortune 1000 are going to be customers. And so what we really want to focus on is how do we get them to use more of our platform. And what I think is unique about Cloudflare is we've already got the products in place where we can have those, uh, those customers uh, adopt our, our more and more of our platform. There is not a single customer that uses every single feature of Cloudflare's platform today uh, in, in terms of a contracted customer. And so I think that's where um, we really see that growing, and I think that's a very healthy way uh, to expand spend with customers is to become more and more critical. What we want to be is the network that the Fortune 1000 relies on for connecting to the Internet, um, making sure that they're secure, making sure that their their employees have the best experience possible, and making sure that no matter what happens, they're always going to be online. Great. Thanks a lot. Your next question comes from the line of James Breen with William Blair. Your line is now open. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Um, could you just talk a little bit about the CapEx is up a bit this quarter? Um, you know, a little bit higher than the guide for the year, the range for the year, and how you think about that spending going forward, and maybe some of the puts and takes on cash flow relative to, to top-line growth and you know, where areas where you can generate cash uh, without too greatly impacting the top line. Thanks. Maybe I get started on CapEx. I mean, we're going to stay within the range uh, that we guided for for the year. Um, we said before, you will see variability quarter to quarter, uh, just in terms of how we purchase, where we see opportunity to pull and spend, uh, and make sure that we maneuver ourselves uh, smartly around the, the supply chain disruptions you see. That this is pretty much driving the variability quarter to quarter, but we will stay within the, the range we, we guided for for the year. For, from a free cash flow perspective, um, you know, we, we said we have um, a lot of levers at hand. Uh, one of the biggest levers is, um, you know, is, is moving to annual billing for our large customers. We are, uh, from a company history perspective, coming, you know, from a, from a pay-as-you-go business where people give us a credit card, even at the beginning of the second quarter, um, at the, the, the majority of our revenue was monthly billing. So we've made first rise into that uh, direction of annual billing, uh, and there is um, a lot of opportunity still in front of us. So this, I would say, is, is the biggest lever. Uh, but we run a pretty holistic uh, cash conversion uh, project across the company that looks into literally anything that can positively uh, impact free cash flow generation, and it's a cross-functional project. Um, and it's we're making good progress, and you saw that already reflected in the second quarter numbers. Great, thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Gray Powell with BTIG. Your line is now open. All right, great. Um, thanks for taking the question, and uh, congratulations for the, um, uh, the, the on, on the strong results. Uh, so, yeah, Matt, you, you called out the Fortune 500 um, energy company uh, where you replaced the scaler, and, and then you talked about some other similar wins. Uh, I just want to make sure I have it correct. Are, are those mainly on the ZTNA side with Cloudflare Access, uh, or were there some gateway wins as well? And, and then maybe can you, can you just drill into it a little bit more and talk about, like, why you won? Is it, is it more on price, technology, or a combination of both? Yeah, um, so when we, when we sell our zero trust solutions, we really believe that, uh, that, that the pieces all fit, uh, together. And, and so, uh, those are, uh, typically wins. you know, so, sometimes somebody will just, will, will just, 
um, adopt one portion of the solution, but we really like to sell that holistic solution and see how all of the pieces um, fit together. Uh, in terms of where we win, um, I, I think what we hear from the space is that uh, our products are significantly more performant. Um, we have a much more holistic uh, solution where we can uh, protect mobile devices in a way that a lot of the other providers uh, can't. We can work across uh, the geographies. You know, it, it, when I was this time last year traveling in, in Africa using our products, they worked great, uh, whereas most most people uh, in the space don't have that broad of a of a of a network uh, that can deliver that. And I think that we are just um, able to scale uh, much more significantly. We have literally two orders of magnitude more capacity uh, to be able to handle the forward proxy traffic across us than any of the other uh, providers in the space. And I think that that's um, that's why. Uh, you've been able, we've been able to, you know, displace, uh, some companies that have used, uh, that have tried to adopt Zscaler and found it, uh, less user friendly and that it generated a lot of IT support tickets. Um, but, but that's really not our focus. Our focus is going after all of the on-premise, um, you know, firewalls and hardware and, and, and VPNs that, that exist in the, in the universe. And so I, I think, they, they can be successful and we can be successful, but I think we have a better product. And, uh, and over time, I think that will help us, help us win. Understood. Um, thank you very much. Emma, can we take a question from one more analyst, please? Of course. Your final question today comes from the line of Brent Phil with Jeffries. Your line is now open. Matthew, on area one, uh, I know it's early, but can you give us an update of what you're seeing there, and uh, get, get on the last question. Can I squeeze one in at the end? Thanks. Um, I, I, the Area One tech is amazing. Uh, so the the product uh, we're seeing really great wins from from very large customers, and we think of that product as being a gateway to help with people on their zero trust journey. If you think about email, the nature of it is it enumerates. Uh, the the uh, employee directory of an organization, and it very much then helps us sell uh, the other zero trust products uh, that that we have. And so that conversation is going well. It's also a conversation that is going well uh, in terms of uh, talking to our existing customers. It turns out everybody's got a phishing problem. Uh, it, it is for most of our customers one click to sign up and test uh, whether or not Area One. Uh, can can result in in that, and so we're seeing um, you know million dollar plus wins that close in, in in you know oftentimes in a matter of you know days or or, or a short number of weeks, uh, which is which is just because because we can just prove how successful that is. I think beyond that, Area One has helped us in in a number of other ways. Um, one, as I, I mentioned earlier, is that they they had a much more sophisticated channel program. Which has now helped um, develop our channel program, and I think we're we're really uh, thankful for that team being on board. And then the third, which I think you'll hear us talk about more uh, going forward, is that they have a really world class uh, threat intelligence uh, team, and that I think will turn into more products uh, across across uh, our entire platform. And because because and because as because I like you, Brent, I'll let you have one more question. I appreciate that. You've had the crystal ball, and everyone appreciates your candor. And I, I think you were the first one to come out and say, "Hey, things are feeling a little different than they felt." And I was just trying to understand when you look at the perspective of what's happening now. Uh, you mentioned things have stabilized. I mean, it, it, I just want to make sure everybody understand from your perspective, it, it hasn't gotten worse. It's come, it's come come in, but your the stabilization trend that you're seeing. Have you seen that extend into? into July and in, in the rest of the summer, what, what, what's your sense of, of kind of the trajectory from where, where things came in? Where, where are you at now? Yeah, you got me in trouble with a lot of my peers, um, at your, at your conference where I, where I, I said that, you know, the economy was, was, uh, was not as rosy as, as, as people think. And I think you've heard uh, a lot of those folks echo those comments now in Q2. Um, 
let me be clear. I think that the economy is still in really rough shape. And I don't know, and I, I, again, I'm, I'm not a member of the, uh, I'm not an economist, um, but, but from what we hear from customers, customers are really still suffering. And, and the economy, I, I, I wouldn't say that the economy itself has stabilized. What I would say is we have had the flexibility in our business to be able to adapt to a very difficult environment. Um, that environment continues to be difficult. And I think it will be difficult at least through the rest of the year. Um, but being able to deliver products that deliver real value, have an incredible ROI, can save customers money, and are must-haves, not nice-to-haves, puts us in an incredibly powerful position. And, and as I said in the prepared remarks, I would not trade places with any other CEO. Thank you. This concludes our Q&A portion of the call. Matthew Prince, I turn the call back to you. So I'd like to, first of all, thank a bunch of the students from the Berkeley School of Music who let us use some of their new and original songs uh, for the whole music uh, going going in. So hope, hope for those of you who tuned in the call early, uh, you appreciated that. Um, I also wanted to thank the analysts for actually asking Thomas some questions this time. Usually I get all the questions. Uh, thanks to our team and all of our customers. Uh, we've got our hands on the wheel, our eyes on the road. We'll see you all back here next quarter. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for attending. You may now disconnect.